0: Welcome to this edition of Technology Forward. By 2023, everyone will be working in the fourth dimension, say analysts at OSIsoft. A four-dimensional model is a 3D simulation cross-referenced with time. Digital twins, a rather recent development enabled by the Internet of Things, are essentially the first models of 4D. We spoke with Richard Beeson, CTO at OSIsoft, to learn more about this shift from 3D simulation to 4D. First of all, tell me a little bit about yourself and OSI Soft.
1: Little about me. Well, actually, the uh, the, the, the two stories are are very tightly uh, interconnected. OSI is yeah. just about to start, or I'm sorry, to celebrate its uh, 40th uh, anniversary of its founding. Mm. And um, I just celebrated my 30th year with the company. So wow. um, <laughs> it's, it's been an interesting journey. So OSI is the maker of what we call data infrastructure, but it's, it's the information management layer for what is traditionally or typically operations data. Okay. So It used to be, you know, DCSs, PLCs, all of that in the control world. So everything in the control world, we span that whole space. And then we take that up, up through the plant and across the enterprise, as we've seen the evolution of IoT and all of that, we are now finding that our customers have this second network, really, uh, this IoT world, and they one of the things they really do with us is stitch those two worlds together into one uh, coherent, uh, consistent operational view because a lot of these IoT sensors, while they're not intimately part of the uh, the control world, they have a a big impact on or can have a big impact on how people understand uh, what the control world is trying to control. So we, we help stitch all those together. So we call that our data infrastructure. It's called the Pi system. And uh, we have technologies that run all the way from the edge, through the enterprise, and up to the cloud. That's it.
0: Tell me a little bit more then about how 3D models will, and what do you mean by 3D models, will get replaced by 4D models. And what do you mean by 4D models?
1: So this is actually super fantastic that I I got um, pulled into this conversation. So so this was an article written by a a former colleague, uh, Michael Canella. And Michael and I, we we were wonderfully able to disagree on just about everything. Okay. So, he, so he actually wrote this, but in this particular case, uh, you know, he's 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 a writer. He's a he's a uh, he likes to spin words and tell stories and and get people's attention and. Um, so I agree with the underlying uh, thing he's saying, but I don't necessarily know that I would say it this way, but we, we can go with that. Okay. Um, my friends at Hoffman are probably cringing right now. <laughs> so what we did, I, I'm going to try to make this short. So what we did in 2000 is um, we had a product which uh, uh, did data reconciliation for refineries. Data reconciliation is really important in refining. It's like balancing your checkbook. So mm-hmm. it's got a financial component, but it's really got an inventory component. I don't know. Are you familiar with that, mm-hmm. that whole concept? Okay. Anyway, so we got this thing called uh, – and, and uh, you know, they try to do it based on the measurements of flows, come, you know, the, the levels in tanks and the levels in ships and what goes in and what goes out. You know, we're not doing uh, nuclear science here, so everything is conserved. But the reality is that when you add everything up, it usually didn't go to zero. Uh, We had to apply advanced analytics to try to calculate which meters, which measures were off and and look at that over time to try to then um, create a balance uh, based on that information. So to do all of this, um, we had to start building up uh, this notion of the various assets uh, within a refinery, the various things. Um, and then the material flowing through them and the energy flowing through them. Uh, so for us, that was kind of our beginning in 2000 um, of what the world eventually started calling digital twins, which okay. was uh, we needed a way. Yeah. So we needed a way of representing these, these things um, so that people could build these models. You know, these are process flow models. They're not, they're not uh, necessarily uh, uh, physical uh, modeling, uh, as, as it were. So actually, even in that world, we did, I, I mean, w- what, what Michael was calling a 4D, we were actually kind of already doing that because we're taking this digital representation of the physical world to create these, these asset structures or these digital representations. And we were merging that with all the, the, what I call the digital information space of the operations associated with those models. So you take this, you take this digital information operational information space and you intersect it with the, with the, uh, the, the physical modeling or the, the digitalization of the, of the physical world. And um, that gives you this uh, temporal physical reality that, you know that's really in the world of operations where you know everything is flows and moving and you know co- combining those two is absolutely necessary so that that is at least my concept of of the 4D so what I, what i think we're seeing happen happening more and more is we're really getting three layers things that are getting uh, digitized and, and merged one is uh, the so I would call it the the 3D modeling the, the the of the of the physical of the physical reality. So the as designed and as built. So okay. like what the with the uh, mechanical engineers and the and the uh, civil engineers would would be using to actually construct the physical world and or to reverse represent the physical world for things that were built before all those technologies. So that's okay. that's one and that's a pretty high fidelity kind of construct between the physical world and, and these digital representations it's like it's like what architects use when they're designing houses these days so you take that and then you and then you take the uh, what I would say kind of the digital representation of what those things are from different points of view so from a, from a civil engineer mechanical engineer's point of view. Um, you know, they see the world one way, but from a process engineer's point of view, they, you know, they see the relationship between a pump and a tower and, uh, you know, heat exchanger and, and how those all interplay as a, as a dynamic, um, as a dynamic model for a process. So that's yet another kind of digital representation um, that serves a specific purpose. Now you then overlay the digital information space and, um, of all the sensors and all the activities and all the dynamics that are happening with those. And you really start then being able to feed, start being able to feed now both this, this operational data, this this information space with the, with the models of how these things all interact and interplay with the physical 3d models, if you will. And you get, so you've got this context, And you got the sensor data, and you can now start feeding all of that into AI and ML and some of these advanced technologies where we've got these, you know, amazing number crunching abilities with GPUs and everything to really chew together all of this information. So you step way back, you know, we've had our customers for 30 years have had, 35 years actually have had um, some pretty good technology stitching together this, what I'll call this, this operational digital information space. And the ability to apply, you know, uh, streaming analytics and things like that since the mid-80s. But what we found as the technologies and AI and the, the, the big data crunchers became more powerful, that as soon as you could add or bring in this contextual information, uh, the digital twin information, the as-built information, and in, and overlay that contextual space together with this uh, operational uh, process information space then you really give uh, these these analytics something significant to chew on and you um, take away a lot of the work that data scientists used to have to do in terms of you know stitching this all together and, and providing all of the labeling and all the other things that, that give uh, this information space the ability to uh, to drive some of these uh, analytical insights, so I'm going to stop for a second because I just dumped a whole bunch of stuff out there.
0: Let me ask it, a couple uh, of questions uh, here. So if I'm if I'm understanding this, this is a I the Internet of Things has really been lately more about data gathering, and the analysis of that data has always been kind of a sticking point. This is a way of resolving that sticking point, or at least providing a way to take all of this data and look at it and potentially gain some insights from it?
1: Yeah. So our, our system, so there's two things, just like what's happening in the world and then our system. So our system does two big things um, to help drive those outcomes. What you're talking about. One is we, we, we provide, we provide a platform that stitches together all these different data measurements across these disparate systems, whether okay. it's from the control world, whether it's from the, you know, the IoT land, or whether it's from you know, basically anything else. But we then stitch that together with the contextual information. We call it contextual information, so contextualize it, where we we, um, we basically effectively label, but we create those associations between all these sensors and how they map to various views of the physical world. So by, by creating that binding, so both bridging the silos of, of all the sensor data, and then overlaying or uh, adjoining it with this contextual information, yes, you, you accomplish exactly what you're talking about. You really drive home the ability to unleash some amazing analytics.
0: Okay, so now what does a design engineer need to know about all of this, in order to make use of it, especially when they're developing a design for a system or equipment that's going to go into some kind of an automation application.
1: So yeah, okay, so this is great. So this so the, the world you're talking about is not the world we necessarily live in, but I've mm-hmm. had some conversations because uh, I know uh, people like uh, um, uh, what are they, Equinor, and some others I, I've spoken with. Um, they, so, so first of all, if you want to learn and get insights about your, your processes and your designs, you have to have lots of history. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, it's like a child. It's like anything else. You, you, you only learn from, from the experience. So the more data you can collect, the more you can have available to learn from. The, the more informed these uh, these insights will be. I mean, for example, it, it's sometimes it, it, it's very difficult to predict something if you've never had a that experience before or a mm-hmm. similar enough experience before. You, it would just, you know, that it might say, okay, we're getting into a territory that we've never seen before. We have no idea if this is good or bad, as opposed to yes, we think, you know, it's most likely this is what's going on because we've seen this before. You know, one of the things that's really fascinating about the, the data science—I I promise I'm pulling this back together to your question—one of the things that's fascinating about the data science here is that most of what people are doing in our space is they're—they're they're trying to do. Uh, Predictive maintenance—they're—they're right. they're trying to anticipate failures and and things like that—and and that's fantastic because there's a, there's a huge huge upside to getting the most efficiency and the most effectiveness out of these um, out of these uh, existing existing systems existing uh, um, deployments. But what I've argued actually for uh, years and years now is that where the real significant transformation is going to happen is when those insights, the analytics um, that are being applied based on the history, based on, uh, you know, what what people are doing today, when that can start informing how you can not only uh, make your machines last longer, but how you might be able to refactor or reconsider how you actually design your process in the first place. Um, and when it starts giving you those kinds of insights mm-hmm. or how you can alter your, you know, alter your process so that, wow, you know, if you just change, you know, the way we're mixing uh, 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 upstream mm-hmm. by doing, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever, you change that the way we're mixing there. now, all of a sudden we believe, you know, not only are you going to be able to predict when, when there's a downstream failure, but you're actually going to set up, uh, you're going to set things up in such a way that you're going to avoid most of those stresses that are driving the downstream failure in the whole first place. Mm -hmm. You know, so that actually, that takes, that takes somebody who understands the process, who uh, understands what those uh, insights are suggesting and has the ability to go change the physical Uh, operation the physical design of of that process or that equipment um, to have this outcome so that to me that you know like I said the the predictive prescriptive uh, maintenance and all that stuff that's fantastic I I don't knock it there's still so much more to go there but this next step of actually being able to build things in a way that uh, are already designed for better outcomes that's going to be really really game-changing
0: yeah I've to me, predictive maintenance has been around for a very long time, and it looks like we're revisiting again just with different technology, and I always thought that the Internet of Things was really more about what you just spoke about, about the ability to take this information and alter things in a way that could actually function better. So how close are we to getting to that point?
1: You know, I, so, so obviously, um, as I mentioned before, you need the history, you need the you need to have learned from something first off, second of off second off, you need you need people at least for now. you know maybe machines will get there at some point, uh, intelligent machines. but for now you need people who understand what the intention is, okay? It's, okay? it's pretty hard to it's pretty I mean you have to know what you're trying to achieve or what what the outcomes are you're trying to achieve. So if so, you really need to connect the the, the the analytical insights back with somebody who understands the who understands the process or the design and the intentions of that design um, to be able to then uh, make that leap. So I think everything is there. I think it's a it's a. It's it's a, it's a it's a human skill, and I don't think that human skill. I, there are some amazing people, but it's a human skill to be able to, to be able to say, okay, given given our intentions, what we're trying to accomplish, given these insights that we're seeing, I understand how that can what that implies in terms of, um, you know, building a, a, a better wheel or you know whatever, whatever that is. So it's not. So I, I think is... I think it's all there
0: but it's not something as simple as an executive saying i want you to, to improve this process by 20%. you
1: know that that an executive saying improve the process by 20% may create the the uh, it may fund an effort. okay. so you know a lot of these a lot of these yeah you you have to know that instead of you know and in a lot of these worlds uh, the the process engineers and the operators there they're just like literally trying to keep everything from falling apart minute to minute to minute. To minute. I'm sure you've walked into these yeah. sites or you've lived this world. I mean, that's, I mean, it is, it is brutal. Um, I grew up, I was fortunate enough to grow up uh, with a, with a father who's in manufacturing and, and uh, he was very in- inclusive. So I got to see this, you know, this is back in the you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. And I just watched how, brutal it is there was still innovation there was all that stuff going on but but you know as so many brilliant people just having to spend their days <laughs> and keeping the lights on yep. um so yes yeah, so so yes yeah, so if, if the executive says yes this is important that um we're going to fund you to take to, 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 to basically carve yourself out of that insanity and look at the data look at the process rethink Think all of this based on, you know, what the the historical insights and and all of that are. And then this is what gets really cool with some of this technology. Once you have those histories, and once you have those um, those uh, those models that are developed using AI, AI ML, whatever your technology is sure is. Once you have these uh, um, uh, the, the, the 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 3D, and I'll say with the history the 4D. Um, uh, digital models. Then you can actually start to run simulations. So mm-hmm. someone who understands these technologies can now start. As long as they don't go too far out of bounds, they can actually start running very realistic simulation based on those models of what the various outcomes may be. Now this is where you can actually start, and you know, and this is like, uh, you know, Google's Go. Go Engine and some of those other things, this is where you can actually say, okay, now we understand the physics, if you will. Um, you know, the physics of Go is one thing. The physics of chess is another thing. The mm-hmm. physics of this process, because we've built up this contextual representation of all the parts and pieces, we we understand the models of the chemistry. We understand the models of the energy. We understand the models of, of, the, of the failures, and we, we've got all this history. So we got all of those together. Now you can actually start. Now this is, you know, this is this person who is off trying to eke out twenty percent. You can actually start running realistic simulations uh, based on all that history and, and context, uh, and, and start tweaking it and actually just running it digitally, running it in the in the virtual world um, to see what what has a very you know likely chance of making of giving you that 20 or 50 or a thousand percent improvement